Well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> I'm a little sick and my ears cut in and out, so if I start yelling, that's, that's probably why. And I just came back from Vancouver, and since I couldn't pop my ears, the pressure is all messed up, so everything's kind of muffled. <laughs> uh, but if you could turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, we're going to finish the chapter this week. Woo! <laughs> At least I hope. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. I maybe spoke too soon. Uh, but Colossians chapter 3, and again, we'll read the chapter in its entirety. Colossians chapter 3, <clears throat> the theme verses of Colossians, verses 1 to 4 of Colossians 3. But if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ." For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. <clears throat> Colossians 4 verse 1 is, should be part of Colossians 3, I think. <laughs> um, so we dip down a little bit into Colossians 4. There is only one command in Scripture given to children. And what is that? It's something my mom <clears throat> pointed out to me when I was younger. I had done something terribly wrong at school. <clears throat> I was in a lot of trouble. 
Uh, and I remember, I remember coming home and dreading having to come home. Uh, my parents had already talked to the principal and vice principal and the teachers that were involved. Um, and some of the teachers were um, throwing around the word expulsion. So I had done something terrible at work, at school, not at work. Good grief. <laughs> but I had done something terrible at school, and I was in a lot of trouble for it. And my mom lovingly took me to my room, didn't, didn't spank me, um, but lovingly took me to my room and opened up the Bible and said, start reading in Proverbs 1 and just keep reading. Uh, and I started in Proverbs 1, and I got to verse 8 and started weeping. <laughs> Turning your Bibles to Proverbs. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching. What is the one command given to children in Scripture? Obey your parents in all things. In all things. Does this mean that your parents are better than you spiritually? No. And we've looked at that the last couple of weeks, that we, those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are all equal. The great equalizer is Christ himself, that we are all one in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are all one. And yes, your parents are most likely more spiritually mature, but we are all sons of God. We are equal. It's a level, level playing field. And yet, children are told to obey their parents. They are to submit to the higher authority. Turn to Proverbs chapter 30. <clears throat> We're given some warnings in Proverbs chapter 30. Now, I didn't make it all the way to Proverbs 30 when my mom told me to start reading. I made it eight verses. And that was pretty much it. But Proverbs chapter 30, and if you drop down to verse 11, we see that there are those who are disobedient to their parents. Uh, Proverbs chapter 30, reading from verse 11. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There are those who are clean in their own eyes but are not washed of their filth. There are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from among mankind. The leech has two daughters. Give and give. In other words, keep giving me more. Three things are never satisfied, four never say enough. Sheol, the barren woman, the land never satisfies with water, 
and the fire that never says enough, the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. Thank goodness I didn't get that far. It's a very graphic picture of children's disobedience to their parents. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. How do we think God feels about disobedience? He doesn't like it one bit. He does not like it one bit, nor does he appreciate, appreciate it, nor will he stand for it. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 28. Romans 1, 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. A description of the unbelieving word, world. And again, God doesn't take disobedience lightly. Being disobedience to parents is listed among so many other sins. And looking back, I wish I would have taken scriptures like these to heart. Being disobedient to parents is mentioned amongst being a slanderer, a hater of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, malicious, an envier, a murderer, someone who commits strife and deceit, and it's listed amongst those. Turn to Second Timothy. Second <clears throat> Timothy chapter three. We'll read from verse one. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Disobedience to parents is even a pattern of the end times and is a picture and a reminder for us of what is to come. Something that God gives as a warning to look out for. Now it's not my intention to lambast children. Rather, it's kind of a reflection on my childhood. But rather to bring into view God's view on disobedience. And it stretches beyond just being a child to a mother and father, but all of us. God's view on disobedience is heavy. He will not stand for it. He will not take it. 
Now, in terms of a child's obedience to a parent, if you turn back to Colossians, what does it say in Colossians 3, verse 20? Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Obey your parents in everything. That's the instruction given to children. Now, there is a limit on a child's obedience to their parent. And it's the same limit that we talked about for a wife's submission to her husband. The only limit is when it becomes contrary to the will of God or contrary to the word of God. That is the limit for all of us, those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ultimately submit to the highest authority that there is in the universe, God himself. We ultimately submit to him. And so if there's anything that we are instructed to do in our lives, whether it's our workplace, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's us as children of, of parents, whatever it is, we are to submit to God first and foremost. And if anything breaks his word or his will, we should follow God instead of man. God rather than man. And so the only limit is when it becomes contrary to the will of God. It is not based on how you feel that day. Now, every day in my family, uh, we had a set series of chores that we had to accomplish. And it just so happened that I seemed to love my chore. Uh, my chore was after everyone was done eating, I was to sweep and vacuum the kitchen and dining room. For some reason, I loved cleaning floors. Uh, and so that would be my chore every single day and every quarter. I was to be like Cinderella and get down on my hands and knees and scrub the floor. And I love that. My parents brought me, bought me a special brush that, that I requested. Uh, and I'd be down there scraping the floor. And since my dad, he was in the RCMP, he was an RCMP officer, he's retired now, but he was a former soldier in the military, and so his expectations were up about here. Uh, you had to be able to eat off the floor. Uh, you had to clean it that well. And he would inspect it uh, after every single chore was done to make sure you did it properly. Um, nothing against him. Uh, <laughs> I actually liked, I liked my chore. But my sisters, they were in charge of doing the dishes every day. Uh, and honestly, I can't, I, as I was writing this, I, I tried to think of what Nicholas was in charge of, and I can't. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to text my mom later and say, I think you're showing some favoritism there. That's one thing that might cause your children to be bitter. <clears throat> I'm not bitter, I swear. But my sisters were in charge of doing the dishes, and one time, I'm not going to say which sister, but you probably know which one. One of my sisters... She just flat out refused. She says, I'm not doing the dishes. I don't want to do it. And my dad, as lovingly as he could put it, <clears throat> put it very plainly. He said, it doesn't matter if you want to do it or not. That's your chore. You're part of this family. You got to work with this family. And so she begrudgingly did the dishes. Does doing dishes run contrary to the will of God? No. <laughs> And in fact, there's a number of verses in Scripture that talk about doing dishes and how you should do them. There are. And cleaning, uh, for instance, the, there's, a, there's several verses actually comparing dirty dishes to the Pharisees, right? You clean the outside and you make sure that it looks clean, but then you look on the outside and it's com or the inside and it's completely dirty and filthy. Um, so doing dishes doesn't run contrary to God's will. And in fact, he instructs you of how you should clean your dishes in the Old Testament. Now, there was a guy that I went to high school with 
um, that was always trying to trip me up with, with the Bible. Uh, and at one point, he brought me Colossians 3, saying you're to obey your parents in all things, right? As a child, you're to obey your parents in everything. And then he brought another passage that at first glance seems to run contrary to it. It's Luke chapter 14, verse 26. It says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So you might look at that as a kid and say, Oh man, I've got it made. I can do whatever I want. The Bible tells me to hate my father and mother. <clears throat> but no, context, context, context. A person's full loyalty must lie with God and him alone. A person's full loyalty must lie with God. And Christ, as this passage, and there's other passages in the New Testament as well, but Christ will cause divisions amongst a family between believers and unbelievers. Right? And I've seen that firsthand in some families that, that I know, um, and I'm sure there are those of us here today. And even in my own family, my, my father's dad doesn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's caused rifts and challenges and issues uh, along the way. Christ will cause divisions amongst a family. And our loyalty must lie with God. And so this, Luke 14, isn't a blank statement to say I can actually do whatever I want as a kid. Um, no, it doesn't say that at all. We must look at the context. Uh, but that was just an instance of, of one guy trying to manipulate. And, and for him, that's where Scripture fell flat, was that argument. But back in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, what is the purpose, what is the motivation for a child obeying their parents in everything? It says, for this pleases the Lord. For this pleases the Lord. I don't think this is a coincidence that Paul uses the word pleases here. It's used nine other times in the New Testament to speak of work or service that is pleasing to the Lord. And although it is not the same word, the same root is used in the word to describe the perfect model of an obedient child, that is Christ. What did his father say? Behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It's not the exact same word, but it's the same root used for both those words. Behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I don't think it's a mistake or an accident that Paul would use the word uh, that is rendered pleased here in this passage. Just as wives are to look to Christ in their submission to their husbands... Just as husbands are to look to Christ as their example of how they should love their wives, children are to look to Christ for the example of the perfect child, the perfect son. As the Lord Jesus Christ would be obedient, it would say, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that he was fully obedient to his father, that the relationship that God the Father and God the Son had is such a beautiful and wonderful example for us as we're kids, as we're husbands, wives, as we operate in a family setting, whatever it is, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who we are to look at, who we're to learn from, and to model our lives after. Now let's go to verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now if you have a marker or pen or whatever, just cross out fathers and put in their parents. It should actually be rendered as parents. Um, a parallel 
passage to this that uses the exact same word. I mean, this word is used about 419 times in the New Testament, I believe. But a parallel passage is Hebrews 11, verse 23, when it describes Moses' parents going out in faith and hiding, uh, and hiding him for three months. And so it's the same word used there, and it should be rendered here as parents. I've often heard this verse used to point towards fathers and, and to kind of point the finger at them and say, everything lies on you. See, it says fathers. Um, but the word should actually be rendered as parents in this passage. The instruction is to both mother and father. And what does it say? Parents, do not provoke. Do not provoke your children. Now, this is an interesting word, and it's essentially a prolonged version form of a Greek word, eris, which means to quarrel, contend with, debate, strife. And so the prolonged version of this is the word here in Colossians. So to continually be arguing with your kids, to continually be speaking down to your children, to continually not give them uh, any sort of sense of satisfaction, that's what this word encapsulates, to continually do that. Not just a, a one-off, although you, you, we shouldn't uh, be involved in, in sort of blowing up on, on children. But it's the prolonged uh, version of this. And it means to, to stimulate anger, right? Don't stir up anger. Provoke your children, stimulating anger. You know, to keep prodding with the intention, known or unknown, of making a child angry, which eventually leads to discouragement. That's what that word means. There's kind of a bunch of meanings all wrapped up in one. The word and form for discouragement here in Colossians 3 is the only time it's ever used in the New Testament. For a child to be disheartened, to lose faith in the family, is essentially what this word means. To lose hope based on the constant prodding and poking of the parents. Now let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6 for just a little bit broader of an explanation here. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll read from verse 4. We'll read from verse 1. We'll kind of catch up from uh, looking at children. Ephesians 6 verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You see, there's something out of obeying uh, your parents. But verse 4 is what we want to look at. Fathers, and again, this, this uh, can be rendered parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do not provoke your, your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord the Lord. Now Ephesians builds on this idea that we, uh, with the thought that instead of tearing down your children, whereas Paul would say, don't provoke your children, don't keep prodding them and annoying them, but instead build them up in the ways of the Lord. Build them up in the ways of the Lord. And we've kind of looked at this previously as uh, for a husband to, it, Paul says, Continue loving your wife because if you don't, if you stop doing that, the thing that's going to replace it is bitterness in your heart towards your wife. And kind of in a similar way, 
combining both of these passage, passages, parents are instructed to continually be building up their children in the way of the Lord. Right? Because if they take that away, anger and resentment towards children will creep in, and then the children will become discouraged. So kind of the pattern that we had looked at previously of if you stop doing one thing, another thing is going to fill its place. And so Paul brings this into view for us, that parents are to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, building them up continually. Your responsibility of a parent is to fill that, uh, that to, to fill the child's life with the instruction of the Lord. And here we begin to understand the purpose of a parent. Nowhere in Scripture does it instruct parents to raise their children in a way that they live the lives the parents couldn't. That's the common phrase <coughs> that you'll hear. Right? I want you to live the life that I didn't live. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. Take, for instance, my father. Uh, his dad actually told him, all while growing up, you need to get a desk job, right? A desk job at that time was the epitome of making it. I don't want you to be a farmer. I don't want you to be a blue-collar worker. I don't want you to be anything other than sit at a desk and report to a manager. You know, that's, that's what making it is. And so my dad went to university for business, and he absolutely hated it. Uh, and then on one of his lunch breaks, he signed up and joined the military. <clears throat> True story. He didn't tell his parents at all. Uh, you know, I mean, he, his father wanted to, him to live a life that his father had planned out for him. But scripture says that parents, and, and I mean, my, my grandfather isn't saved and it wasn't a Christian home. But for Christian parents, you to raise your children up in the ways of the Lord, the knowledge and discipline of the Lord. That's the only, that's the instruction. To raise them up in the Lord. What is your duty before the Lord? To raise your children in the knowledge of who Christ is. To imprint on them the importance of knowing God and to live in a way within your marriage that they see Christ at every turn. It is not to plan their lives for them. It is not to keep them in the home as long as possible. It is to raise them in a way that they are built up so that when they do leave, they would be armed with the knowledge to follow Christ. That is the scriptural way to raise children. And again, it goes back. Paul starts, wonderfully starts, with the husband and the wife, right? He begins with them. He doesn't begin with the children. Because he understands that the picture between a husband and a wife, a husband's love for his wife, a wife's submission to her husband, that they're both in a loving, godly relationship, displaying Christ at every turn, will highly affect the children in that family. And so Paul begins there and says, your marriage needs to be set up in a way that it honors God and that in turn it comes down and says and starts talking about children. And I think it's very important uh, as, as Paul sort of lays this out. Now, what does success look like for a parent? Is it that all your kids are, are living for the Lord? And it's an argument that, that I've heard a lot, and as I was studying for this, it was an argument that came up quite a bit. And, I, and so I just want to address it. What does success look like for a parent? Because that, that argument that, well, all your kids should be living for the Lord is such a damaging argument. It's actually not an argument. 
But that's not the command here, is it? My parents day in and day out prayed for my siblings and I. They read scripture with us and talked about the things of God constantly. And I remember every, every Christmas, <clears throat> we would wake up early in the morning. My brother and I would be up at 3 a.m. And we'd be trying to silently open our stockings. And Dad is a fairly light sleeper. And so he would come in and confiscate our stockings and tell us to go to bed. And we would sit there for hours. But before we got to open a single gift, my dad would give a devotion, a small devotion, and he would pray in what would seem like forever, hours and hours, it was probably only two minutes. But he would give a short devotion, and then he would pray and give thanks, and we would have uh, kind of a, a little remembrance time of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a kid, it's annoying, right? I mean, I just want to open my gifts. This is what Christmas is about, right? It's opening gifts as a kid. Um, but my parents wanted to instill in each one of us a reminder and a love and appreciation for what the Lord Jesus Christ had done. And to this day, before I open a single gift that I ever get, I think of Christ. And that's on my parents. Um, and they're, and that, I mean, that's just an example of something that, that they had done um, that was small at the time and annoying as a kid, but has paid off dividends, I think. Uh, in the lives of, of each of us siblings. But would my parents be considered a failure if I didn't end up following the Lord? I don't think so. You see, they gave up their time and their lives to teach the Word of God. My dad sacrificed so much. As, as I would talk with him in, in later years, he sacrificed so much of, of his career for us and raising us um, to, for him to teach the word of God to us. But did they fail? I don't think so. I truly believe they fulfilled Ephesians 6 verse 4, regardless of the spiritual outcome of my siblings and I. And praise God, we're all going on for the Lord. But I bring this up because I feel that it's important to Paul's teaching. Just like what we discussed last week about how a husband should unconditionally love his wife with no expectation of it being reciprocated, to will to love one's wife, in the same way parents are instructed to go out of their way to raise their children in the teaching and discipline of the Lord regardless of the ultimate outcome. Regardless of the ultimate outcome. And to leave those lives with the Lord knowing that each of us is an individual and will individually give an answer to the Lord. Colossians 3, verse 22. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Now the homes in those days had servants, and the servants generally weren't employees, but rather slaves. And they were the property of their masters. But the principles of this relationship certainly apply to an employee and employer relationship. In the Greek and Roman worlds, uh, slaves were everywhere, and this instruction was vital to understanding the Christian home. Servants were to be submissive in all things. Now, in the Western world, we have people that get hired to do a number of things at a house, from maids to gardeners, someone that clears the snow, etc. But more broadly, these principles can be applied to the workplace, and we'll kind of treat it as such, um, just because of the, the, the area of the world that we are in. If you are an employee, 
You are to obey everything. Again, the upper limit of that is God's will. But Colossians 3 verse 22, it says, Not with eye service, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Not to be a hard worker when your boss is looking and then slack off when he's not. Or to be hard working when there is someone there to congratulate you or to see it and report. And not to solely please your boss. This verse highlights that you are pleasing God, that he is the ultimate one that we are to please. Verse 23, what does it say? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. To be, con- totally, to be totally committed to serve as if the master or the boss were the Lord himself is how we're to treat that environment. The Greek actually reads, enthusiastically working from the soul. I kind of like that a little bit better. Enthusiastically working from the soul. To be working for the Lord Jesus Christ and to be pleasing him. Then Paul goes on to give two reasons for why you should work in this way. Why should we be submissive to our bosses, to our masters, whatever um, context that we're in? Verse 24, what does it say? Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. The Lord is going to pay you back for everything done as to the Lord. You might be underpaid, overworked, but one day God is going to equalize it all. Verse 24 gets into that. All of it is because you serve him. The reality is that you don't serve your boss. You serve God. You serve the God of the universe. That's who you're working for. He's your actual boss. And by serving him, you will serve your, you will serve your earthly boss well. Right? By serving the one who you're supposed to be serving, by serving the Lord Christ, you will serve your earthly boss well. And no matter what inequalities there may be on this earth in terms of what you get out of your job, your ultimate paycheck isn't until eternity. Our ultimate paycheck from work is when the Lord comes and calls us home and gives us our reward, our inheritance. And so when you serve, you are to serve with your whole heart. You are to serve with total commitment because the Lord is the one you are really serving And he is the one that will pay you back. And then Paul gives a warning, verse 25. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. The Lord will discipline, and it says that he is impartial. And so we're not to be going around thinking that because we're a Christian, we can get away with anything and that you have special favor with the Lord. The Christian is not to presume on their Christianity as justification for disobedience in the workplace. We are serving the Lord Christ. Then to close out this section, section, Paul gives instruction to masters in chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. In other words, do unto others as you would have the Lord do unto you. It's a good reminder. I'm in charge of several teams uh, in Winnipeg and Vancouver, and this has to be my thought as I lead them and as they report to me. 
is how I want to be in charge of people as I treat them. Do I want the Lord to treat me that way in return? If I'm harsh, overly harsh, and not just with them, well, there's a warning in Scripture for that. But would I want the Lord to treat me that? Would, was that? Is that my expectation, that the Lord would treat me unjustly? No, certainly not. You would expect the Lord to do right. Then live out Christ in your position, whatever it might be. If you're in charge of people, people report to you as an employee, wherever it might be, as you work, do it unto the Lord Christ. Now, we haven't gotten into much depth with the topics the last couple weeks as they've been more of an overview of what is listed in Colossians. But as we come to the close of chapter 3 and verse 1 of chapter 4, we can better see the view of the entire chapter. You have this new man, right? We, we establish the fact of Christ's supremacy and then this building up, this tearing off of the old man and the building up of the new man. So we have this new man that makes a new home. Right, we're to look at the home with a new wife, a new husband, new children. Not to just look at it as a home as any other home in the world, but a home dominated and defined by Christ. There are instructions for each member of that home and a unique attitude that each should have. Each of these combined is dramatic and shocking to society. In a society where homes are falling apart, where marriage is treated as some kind of joke, where people don't understand a happy marriage or a loving husband, where people don't understand a home at peace or a home with unity. If Christianity is to affect our world, it must start with our homes, the wonderful picture of Christ. And it all goes back to Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you be risen with Christ, live it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we were able to open up your word and we we thank you for the instruction of the Christian home and how it should be set up and how it should all be um, in a way that gives you maximum glory. We pray for each and every one of us here, Lord. We pray for every husband (coughs) in this room. We pray for every wife in this room. We pray for every child in this room. We pray for everyone in this room that they might pursue a home that is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ, that ultimately that you might receive the glory and the honor and the majesty that is due your name. Father, give us the strength to live lives in this world that are honoring and pleasing in your sight. We pray that we might love one another, that we might be submissive one to another, that we might be looking out for one another, that we might fulfill being the body of Christ for your name's sake, for our head. And so we just thank you for, again for this time that we could open up your word and we commit it to you. We lay it before you. We pray that as we go our separate ways, that the name of Christ might be on our minds, might be on our lips, might be on our hearts. As we leave this place, that you might be our all in all. Again, we just give thanks and we pray in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.